Hello and welcome to the Medicine and Machine Learning Podcast. I'm your host, David Wu, and in today's episode, I interview Matt Diamond, MD, PhD, Chief Medical Director of the FDA's Digital Health Center of Excellence. I didn't know much about what the FDA did in regards to medical devices and digital health before this interview, but I can say now that, wow, I'm actually very happy we have them. From my interview with Matt, I came to learn that they are actually a very friendly organization, kind of like the National Parks and Rec Service, and their goal is to work with patients, providers, and industry to safeguard the health of all of us while responsibly implementing new health technologies. I had a blast doing this interview, and I hope you all enjoy. Thanks. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of the Medicine and Machine Learning Podcast. My guest today is Dr. Matthew Diamond. He is the Chief Medical Officer for, of, of, for Digital Health of the FDA. Uh, and I was wondering, Dr. Diamond, can you tell us about your path and how you came to the intersection of medicine and machine learning? Yes, uh, David, thanks for the question. And, and it's a pleasure to, uh, to be here on your podcast. Um, you know, I came to medicine with a strong scientific and specifically uh, strong computational background. I had studied physics and math uh, as an undergrad. And along with my desire to be a physician, uh, that um, scientific experience motivated me to pursue a combined MD-PhD program, which I did uh, at Mount Sinai uh, in New York City. And my PhD was in biophysics and my project was very computational uh, involving computer simulations uh, of proteins. And after that training at Mount Sinai, I went on to my postgraduate medical training, and that was an internship at Lenox Hill Hospital in internal medicine, uh, residency at NYU in physical medicine and rehabilitation, and then a fellowship in sports medicine at the Hospital for Special Surgery. And while I was at NYU, that was right when the iPad came out. And we did some early digital health research at NYU, uh, giving iPads to patients, giving iPads to uh, residents, uh, exploring applications of the technology. And my interest in digital health at that time led me to join a digital health startup, which was focused primarily on wellness. We were building wearable physical activity and sleep monitors. And we decided it was important to develop all of our own algorithms to process the data from the sensors and perform the activity detection and sleep analysis that these wearable uh, products um, provided. So Using my computational and medical background, I ended up leading a team of machine learning scientists to develop those algorithms. And you know, I saw firsthand how powerful machine learning techniques can be in developing tools for health and wellness. And I saw also uh, the pitfalls of these approaches. Uh, and you must know the phrase "garbage in, garbage out." But yeah, you know, just um, how important it is uh, to use quality. Uh, appropriate data sets that represent um, the intended use of the product, um, you know, how challenging it can be sometimes to obtain the right data that's appropriately diverse, that's uh, well annotated, um, you know, how important it was to rigorously validate uh, a machine learning model and the products that use them. And from there, um, you know, I worked with lots of partners. I went on to work for other technology companies as well, and I came to see how ubiquitous machine learning had become and what an important tool it is. And so that's how I came to be working at the intersection of medicine and machine learning in general. Um, in terms of how I came to be working at the intersection of medicine and machine learning in my current role at FDA, um, 
you know, when I was working in industry, it was very important for me to understand the regulatory status of digital health products. So I studied the many guidance documents that FDA had put out in digital health uh, and specifically on the regulation of software. Uh, I went to meetings uh, with the agency and I got to know folks at FDA. Uh, you know, I understood that the regulation of digital health technologies was a priority for FDA and that the agency was trying to develop new regulatory approaches for medical device software, including artificial intelligence. And I thought that this was just incredibly exciting, very important. And that's why I decided to join FDA and specifically the Digital Health Group, which has now become uh, the Digital Health Center of Excellence and how I came uh, to where I am now focusing on uh, the regulation of these technologies. Wow, that's quite, a, quite an impressive journey that you've been on, you know, starting with proteins, and then going to PMNR and then kind of wearables to where you are today at the FDA. Uh, I think it's, wow, that's very impressive. And I was wondering if you could tell us a bit more about your current job. Uh, you know, like what's a typical day like? Yeah, absolutely. So um, maybe I can talk a little bit about uh, the role uh, of FDA and specifically the Center of Excellence. Um, you know, with regard to digital health technologies. And so essentially, you know, at FDA, we provide oversight for the subset of digital health technologies that are devices, okay, that, that meet the definition of a medical device. Mm -hmm. And as part of that oversight, uh, first of all, um, we spend a lot of time providing clarity about what are the types of products that are the focus of our oversight and which uh, are not. Um, mm -hmm. Secondly, we develop policy and I spend a lot of time um, writing uh, guidance documents um, with colleagues here. And you know, we do that through a, a complex process of public consultation with input from a broad uh, array of stakeholders. But I would say we do spend a lot of time uh, writing guidance. And that guidance um, uh, says a lot of things, but um, it includes you know, what is the bar that products need to meet uh, to enter the market. Um, you know, another role that FDA plays is in the review of applications from uh, manufacturers or developers who wish to market their devices in the United States. And, and we provide clearance or approval for them based on the information they provide in our policies. And at the Digital Health Center of Excellence, um, we are brought in for digital health uh, issues. We provide consultation, um, to uh, basically, uh, as part of the review team uh, here at FDA for uh, digital health products. Um, another role of the agency is, is in enforcement. Uh, if actions need to be taken when products on the market um, are not safe or effective, uh, mm -hmm. but I don't spend too mm -hmm. much time uh, in that role. Um, what I, I do spend a lot of time in is uh, building partnerships, uh, promoting collaborations, uh, doing whatever we can to foster uh, responsible innovation in digital health that can be uh, joining um, standardization uh, body uh, calls, uh, joining calls with uh, international partners, for example, um, through a collaboration called the uh, International Medical Device Regulators Forum or IMDRF. Um, and for that reason, sometimes my day starts very early in the morning um, in mm -hmm. order to uh, sync up with, uh, with colleagues from around the globe. Um, you know, an important priority for the center is to promote uh, equity. Uh, in healthcare to, to promote awareness and consistent application of digital health policies. So, 
um, you know, a lot of meetings throughout the day with uh, a diverse uh, array of stakeholders, including, you know, patient groups, provider groups, uh, developers, um, you know, but all centered around this goal uh, to promote uh, responsible innovation. Mm. Uh, and I kind of wanted to just back up for a second for our listeners. I was curious if you could define, uh, how would you define a digital health technology? Yeah, that's, it's a great question. And, and we think of digital health quite broadly. You know, these are technologies that span uh, a wide range of uses from uh, general wellness apps that uh, you might use on your phone to software-based medical devices that, you know, directly participate in the prevention, diagnosis, and treatment of medical devices. They could be used by patients uh, to help them manage their condition. They could be used by um, a, a physician uh, or nurse uh, to help them take care of patients. Um, we've defined digital health technologies as, as products or systems that use computing platforms, connectivity, software, and sensors for healthcare and related uses. And you know, just like in, in all industries, we see the impact of a digital revolution that's allowing mm -hmm. more sophisticated, for example, manufacturing, finance, education, so we are also seeing software and sensor technologies play an increasingly important role in medical devices and in healthcare more generally. So I can provide an example of a machine learning enabled digital health medical device. Um, mm -hmm. We recently authorized a device that analyzes colonoscopy images in real time uh, to help clinicians identify lesions during a colonoscopy. And that's essentially mm. serving as a, you know, a second set of eyes uh, for a, uh, a gastroenterologist. So, you know, these digital technologies to, to summarize, um, they can really help improve the quality of healthcare that people receive. Um, it can, they can improve access to healthcare uh, by providing services remotely. Uh, they can improve the accuracy of diagnosis, uh, for example, through more sophisticated analytics and more data about how people are actually living their lives, not just, you know, at, at incremental visits to the doctor, but all those time points in between. And, mm -hmm. uh, and also they can provide uh, more personalized uh, treatments. Mm. I'm curious um, with these software as medical devices, uh, when, you know, when they start to make treatment recommendations, does that, does that change how we, how we see them or how we regulate them? It's a great uh, question. And you know, the, the regulation of medical devices are based on their intended use. And that includes information like, um, you know, what is the clinical context in which they will be used? What, what types of diseases or conditions are they uh, treating or diagnosing? Um, and what is the role that um, these technologies play? For example, are they providing a little bit of assistance to a, um, a clinician? Are they making specific recommendations, as you just mentioned? Are they providing a, a menu of options, you know, all of which would be, um, you know, reasonable for a clinician, or are they uh, making some a recommendation that is, you know, very um, specific and uh, prescriptive, and and all these factors uh, contribute to how we think about and and other factors as well contribute to how we think about the risk uh, of a, a device, and so uh, some digital health products are not considered uh, medical devices, for example. Uh, wellness-based apps that may make recommendations to individuals on basically how to live a healthy lifestyle. Um, mm -hmm. And also there are some um, 
uh, digital health products, some software that uh, can make uh, recommendations to um, physicians. Uh, but the way that they go about doing that, uh, if they're um, appropriately transparent so that the physician, for example, does not need to rely uh, solely on those recommendations, um, but it's just uh, helping. Uh, and there are a whole, uh, whole set of criteria involved uh, that uh, could also uh, make that those software not the focus of FDA's regulatory oversight. So, you know, in short, uh, to answer your question, um, the specifics really matter and, mm -hmm. uh, and they can impact both the regulatory status of the product. That is, is it a device? Is it not a device? And if it is, what type of application might be required to the agency? Uh, and then, um, and also just how we think about uh, the risk of that product. Mm. I kind of had a, a, this, a deeper question too. And I was wondering, you know, if we think about like the long arc of technology and its relationship to medicine, you know, I think of the stethoscope as one of, you know, the earliest technologies or devices that we used. And I feel like it helped a lot in diagnosis. And I'm curious if you think that AI or ML technologies have, are they fundamentally different from like, is it a, is it a paradigm shift or is it just like a, a new form of technology that we can kind of view similar to, uh, you know, in, in how technology is in, uh, in improving, if, if that makes any sense? Yeah, it's, it's a great question, you know, and I generally think about uh, these things, these technologies along a spectrum. Mm -hmm. um, and even, you know, in terms of stethoscopes, uh, they're, is quite an array of sophistication. And if you look at, you know, uh, the first types of products, uh, it almost looks like a physician leaning over and, and putting their uh, ear on the chest of a patient, maybe with a little bit of help from like a funnel-like device, right? And then mm -hmm. um, stethoscopes evolved uh, and uh, to, to the way that, you know, we, we think of them today with a, a long tube, um, they've become electronic and then, you know, as things go digital, uh, there's the potential for uh, more sophisticated analytics. Um, it's easier to, um, you know, uh, record and store uh, that information and make comparisons. And um, it's easier to facilitate education, um, you know, when things are digital often. Mm -hmm. So um, I think that, uh, again, I, I consider these technologies along a spectrum of continuous uh, development and uh, an improvement and increased sophistication and, and capability. Mm. And I'm curious with the increase in sophistication, does, does your role at the FDA change? Well, uh, I think that, uh, you know, the role of um, sensors and software and connectivity uh, is only increasing, um, you know, both for medical devices and for healthcare um, as, um, you know, digital health, as I mentioned, includes some entirely new types of products, um, products that are uh, just software uh, that, you know, that type of product didn't exist not too long ago. And then there are um, hardware products, like you mentioned the stethoscope, um, where there are smarter and smarter versions uh, of stethoscopes. And, and I think that we'll see this um, again, and we are seeing this uh, across the the full spectrum of medical disciplines and every medical uh, specialty and field. Um, you know, if you can add a, a sensor to a product, um, if you can add connectivity so that 
um, there's a potential to actually monitor how the devices are being used in the real world. Um, I think that this can really help us to um, improve the, the, the features of the product, um, the quality uh, of the products, and also our capability to understand how they're really being used and how they're really functioning uh, in the real world. Mm -hmm. Do you have any favorite examples of that? Well, you know, I do spend a lot of my time focused on um, artificial intelligence and machine learning enabled uh, technologies. Um, I mentioned one of my favorites already, you know, just the idea of um, for a clinician who is, you know, spending a, a long day um, looking at uh, colonoscopy images uh, to have um, an extra set of eyes, I think is, is very uh, exciting. Um, mm. And similarly, um, there are technologies that we've recently authorized that will help to guide uh, the hands of a, a non-expert uh, nurse uh, in obtaining um, uh, cardiac ultrasound images that they otherwise would not be able to uh, obtain. So essentially, um, you know, they're using an ultrasound uh, machine that will actually tell them which way to turn the probe in order oh, to wow. get the right uh, image. And I think that this is just the beginning of devices that are helping to you know, augment uh, uh, the functioning of healthcare providers. And I think I'm, I'm really excited about, um, you know, as, as we have an increased understanding of the human AI team in medicine, um, how uh, you know, clinicians uh, using these technologies uh, can do their jobs uh, in ways that uh, they might not be able to do otherwise. Hmm. Do you think there is a a, a limit of how much we should allow these technologies to supplement medical care? You know, like, would we, would we ever foresee one day it replacing medical care? Well, I think it's incredibly important to have the right safeguards in place. And, um, you know, the devices that we've authorized uh, to date uh, are, are largely, again, assisting or augmenting uh, the functioning of uh, healthcare uh, providers. You know, I think as the technology becomes more sophisticated, um, it will be able to do more uh, and more. Um, mm -hmm. But, uh, you know, the, I really see the benefits of these technologies um, as being helping healthcare providers, uh, again, to do their jobs um, as, as best they can, um, helping uh, patients have access to services they might not otherwise uh, be able to uh, have access to, and, and I think that, uh, you know, as long as we uh, proceed um, humbly and with the proper safeguards in place, uh, I, I think that we'll uh, allow these technologies to, to naturally reach their potential. And, mm. you know, we'll, we'll see together um, what exactly that is. That actually leads me perfectly to my next question. I was curious if you could tell us a bit more about, uh, I know recently the FDA published uh, some guidelines, one of them being digital health technologies for remote data acquisition and clinical investigations. Uh, I was wondering if you could tell us briefly, kind of in layman terms, what these guidelines uh, entail. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's very exciting. We're, we're really pleased to have issued this guidance. And the, the purpose is to facilitate uh, the use of digital health technologies, and sometimes we call them uh, DHTs, uh, in, in clinical trials of medical products. And this is for trials of drugs, 
biologics and medical devices. So essentially um, when a manufacturer um, is looking to market uh, a product um, in the United States, they uh, may need to submit uh, to uh, FDA evidence that it works, that it's safe and effective. And so these trials um, are incredibly important and we see um, a lot of potential for digital health technologies to gather data on the safety and effectiveness of other uh, products. And the guidance provides essentially recommendations on how uh, to go about doing this. Uh, we think this is really exciting because DHTs can provide data directly from participants, wherever they may be. You know, in traditional mm -hmm. clinical trials, um, a participant uh, you know, will go into a, um, a trial site on a regular basis. And let's just say that happens, you know, um, with the monthly check-ins, um, it, would, it would be great to have information about what's going on in between. And uh, we really feel that digital health technologies can help provide a broader picture of how patients feel uh, and function in their daily lives. And, you know, what we hear from patients uh, directly is that there are sometimes incremental and subtle, but very meaningful improvements in their experience uh, that can be very useful, but very difficult to measure. And, and digital health technologies, we think, have the potential uh, to help pick up on these differences. And another benefit uh, I want to highlight is that some digital health technologies can facilitate the direct collection of information from participants who are unable to report their experiences. Um, mm -hmm. For example, uh, individuals with cognitive uh, impairment. So, um, yeah, you know, one, one last thing to highlight is that um, digital technologies can facilitate participation of individuals who might not otherwise uh, have good access to trials. Yeah. And, and so that uh, this helps to ensure uh, if those folks can have access to trials through uh, DHTs, it helps to ensure that the data used to develop and test medical products are truly representative of a diverse intended patient population. And in this context, uh, digital health technologies represent an opportunity to promote uh, health equity. That's, that's great to hear. I feel like normally, uh, you know, people like to criticize new technologies for not promoting health equity, but I, I think it's really nice to hear that. In fact, this has broadened inclusivity. Thanks. Wow. I was also wondering if you could tell us about uh, you guys recently released some guiding principles for good machine learning practice for medical device development. Uh, I was wondering if you could also talk a little bit about those. Yeah, absolutely. So, so this document um, identifies an internationally harmonized set of 10 guiding principles, which are intended to lay the foundation for developing what we're calling good machine learning practice or GMLP. And this is to help promote responsible use of AI for the development of safe, effective, and high quality um, machine learning enabled medical devices. So GMLP uh, includes a set of best practices. Uh, for example, you know, data management, uh, feature extraction, training, uh, interpretability, uh, evaluation, documentation. And these are akin to good software engineering practices or quality system practices. And, and we put out this document because you know, we recognize that machine learning technologies present unique considerations uh, due to their complexity, 
the iterative and data-driven nature of their development. And we believe these guiding principles can help guide the development and harmonization of these best practices. And, and I can give you an example. We, there are mm -hmm. uh, 10 um, uh, principles. Uh, one of them is uh, that users are provided clear and essential information. And, and we talk a little bit about um, that, you know, whether the user is a healthcare provider or a patient, um, contextually relevant information um, appropriate for the intended audience should be provided. And this could include um, the intended use of the product, its performance characteristics, um, uh, how it might perform in different subgroups, um, uh, some information about the data that were used to train and test the model, um, in what types of uh, situations should it be used and when should it not be used? What are its limitations? And you know, there's a whole list of uh, type of information to be provided. Now, it may seem obvious that this is important, but, but how to accomplish it uh, is not necessarily obvious. Um, and that's why we wanted to highlight it here. Um, we're looking to encourage um, the, the specification of best practices in this area. And then we have our own activities um, to help promote um, this aim of transparency. Um, we held last fall a, a multi-stakeholder engagement workshop uh, focused on transparency to users of AIML-enabled devices. And this brought together um, a, uh, you know, again, a broad set of stakeholders, patients, uh, providers, uh, developers, scientists, um, to try to promote uh, this aim. Mm. You know, I really appreciate you coming on this podcast too to talk about this because I feel like it's really helping spread the word, and uh, you know, it feels much more like a like a team effort. Thanks. It absolutely is. I mean, we we view um, much of the work as uh, something that needs to be done by the community together, and um, and we're we're part of that community, and we have some specific responsibilities. Um, but uh, I think the development of good machine learning practice. Uh, I think is an example of something that um, needs to be done, uh, you know, including, um, again, a broad array of stakeholders and, um, you know, including uh, standardization uh, bodies and ideally uh, something that can be harmonized um, internationally. And that's why we decided to, um, to work with a number of our international partners and uh, put out this particular document with uh, MHRA um, in the UK and uh, and also Health, Health Canada, uh, but you know there's a there's another um, uh, way that we uh, that we collaborate uh, and and work uh, with stakeholders that that may be helpful for um, for your audience to to be aware of. Mm -hmm. um, FDA is a member of about a dozen uh, collaborative communities, and you know we don't uh, we didn't um, initiate uh, these organizations and, uh, and we don't run them, uh, but we participate, you know, being a, a member uh, at the table, it's a group of um, stakeholders with a common interest uh, that work together uh, on, on common problems, like for example, uh, machine learning devices. And there are a number of collaborative communities um, that, that you're all encouraged to participate in. Um, one, for example, is focused on digital pathology, where there's a strong interest, um, you know, in, in machine learning enabled devices. Mm -hmm. uh, there's a collaborative community focused on ophthalmic imaging, where we've seen uh, many uh, machine learning enabled um, devices 
There is a, a collaborative community focused on data, uh, one uh, focused on health equity and diversity. So uh, absolutely, um, it's, it is, uh, this is all, these are all a team effort. Wow, how do I find these collaborative communities? Um, I can send you a, a link to um, a, a list of the collaborative communities that FDA is oh, actually great. participating in uh, now, but it's, they're all um, uh, listed uh, on really our cool. FDA website and then each one you know, hosts its own website. And so in these collaborative communities, um, who, who participates? So um, you know, there are patient groups, uh, provider groups, um, and then um, researchers and uh, developers or manufacturers. These are uh, sort of the, the, the largest uh, constituents. And wow. you know, it really depends on the particular focus area and, uh, and, and question at hand. Mm. Um, I briefly wanted to read out the, the good machine learning practice or the, the guiding principles, just because I feel like for our listeners, it's, it's something that I, I really appreciated. I'm really glad that you guys published because uh, I think they are very like important key values. Uh, the first being multidisciplinary expertise is leveraged throughout the total product life cycle. Second, good software engineering and security practices are implemented. Third, clinical study participants and data sets are representative of the intended patient population. I thought that was really good. Four, training data sets are independent of test sets. Five, selected reference data sets are based upon best available methods. Six, model design is tailored to the available data and reflects the intended use of the device. Seven, focus is placed on the performance of the human AI team. Eight, Testing demonstrates device performance during clinically relevant conditions. Nine, users are provided clear essential information. And 10, deployed models are monitored for performance and retraining risks are managed. I think those are great. Thank you. Uh, I'm curious, you know, say if I was a, a company and I had, you know, this uh, a digital health technology that I, I was interested in bringing to market, what would... Uh, our relationship look like, you know, if it, like kind of how would it begin and how would we work together and you know, how would they eventually bring it to market? Yeah, uh, thanks for the question. Um, you know, first of all, we recommend uh, to engage with the agency uh, early and often. And one mm -hmm. of the first questions I would probably ask um, myself if I were, you know, developing such a product is um, what is that product's regulatory status? Um, is it considered a medical device? Um, because remember, not all digital uh, health technologies meet mm -hmm. the definition of medical device and are the focus of FDA's uh, oversight. And, you know, for example, some wellness apps um, are not devices, in which case, um, you know, uh, you would not need to um, engage very much um, with- uh, So like, like a step counter, something that tracks your steps? Yeah, and it really depends on the specifics, but um, I think that uh, that's, a, that's a good example. Um, that, that, that wouldn't count, right? Well, you know, it, it always depends on the, the, the specific intended use, which includes claims. You know, if someone mm -hmm. wants to develop a step counter that is specifically designed to uh, work with certain types of patients in a particular medical environment, um, you know, it would be appropriate to come in and, and talk to us at the agency, but a general purpose uh, step counter, you know, is, is generally not the focus of our uh, oversight. Absolutely. Mm -hmm. um, so, so making that decision um, is something that can be uh, done um, th 
through uh, the resources that we have available um, at FDA, all, all available on our website, uh, including uh, guidance documents. We have a guidance document on um, what we call device software functions and mobile medical applications. And it talks uh, a little bit, of, it's one of the first documents I would probably uh, read um, you know, if I were in that situation and wanted to learn a little bit more about uh, the FDA processes and the types of products. We also have a guidance um, you know, focused on general wellness products. Uh, so you can see uh, what are the requirements for those products. And if you think that, that your product uh, falls in that type. Now you can reach out to the agency through a number of mechanisms. Um, there are, uh, if you decide, if um, it's determined that your product is the focus of FDA's regulatory oversight and it requires a marketing um, application to the agency, um, it's highly recommended to uh, come meet with us before you submit your application. And those types of meetings are generally called pre-submission meetings, uh, but there is a formal uh, process uh, for them. And uh, you know, I find that um, the manufacturers, you could call yourself a developer or a sponsor, um, you know, get a lot of useful information. And it's, if it's, if, if it's um, a product that would require a clinical study, for example, to show its effectiveness, it's really helpful to get um, input from the agency on what that study should look like. Uh, what should be the endpoints? What should be the, mm -hmm. um, uh, you know, the, the number of participants and uh, how measurements will be made? Um, and you know, the, the goal is to get feedback from the same group at the agency uh, that will be uh, eventually reviewing the application. And it's much mm -hmm. better, again, to get input uh, before um, the application is submitted. I, I wanna highlight one more uh, mechanism to um, engage with the agency. And that is um, our Digital Health Center of Excellence has a, uh, a mailbox that you can email with questions. You know, we get a lot of emails that folks say, I'm developing this app. It has these features. Um, can you give me some resources uh, so that I can help understand the requirements uh, for that type of app? And we'll point folks uh, to the type of guidances that I just mentioned um, for mobile medical applications, for example. And sometimes we'll point to them to specific examples in the guidance that seem similar to uh, the products that they are developing because, you know, I think examples do really help and we try to include uh, examples in our guidances. And just to add, you know, even if you're developing a product that is not the direct focus of a regulatory oversight, I think there are benefits to engaging with the agency and the, and the um, community uh, broadly uh, because these, you know, good machine learning practice uh, guiding principles, for example, um, you know, they're aimed at improving um, medical device development, but um, I think they're applicable broadly um, to uh, machine learning uh, in digital health technologies. You know, Dr. Diamond, I feel like those of us in medicine are traditionally very afraid of regulatory bodies, but I actually, after you know speaking with you, I feel that, that the FDA is actually a very friendly organization <laughs> and that, you know, I'm like very, uh, I'm pleasantly surprised, you know, and, I, and I'm really glad that we have a, a organization such as the FDA to kind of help help with the development of this. Um, it, you know, it feels that much more um, 
I guess, mutually synergistic rather than antagonistic, which is, which is good. Thanks. You know, um, it's why I joined the agency now almost four years ago. Um, and, you know, just uh, interacting with folks at FDA, you know, in particular in digital health, um, I also had an impression that, um, you know, the, um, the agency was interested in promoting best practices, um, you know, in um, facilitating uh, innovation in a responsible way. And um, it essentially, um, you know, the, if we can help uh, patients in the United States uh, have, uh, you know, speedy access to the, the latest safe and effective technologies, then, then we've done our job. And I think, you know, the way to do that um, is to be as uh, interactive uh, as possible, uh, to be as clear as possible, and uh, to do that in the context of uh, a collaborative approach. Mm. Uh, so these are some closing questions that we have sure. for every guest. Uh, first question is, what do you think the future of AI and medicine will look like in 10 to 20 years? David, I, I think it's a very exciting future. Um, you know, and, and while it's, it's very difficult to predict the future and especially a timeline for the future, so let's put the, the timeline aside for a moment. Mm -hmm. um, I think there are things we can expect at the intersection of AI and medicine. And I think I'll focus specifically on, on medical devices. Uh, I think we're gonna see an increase in the breadth and depth of machine learning applications in medicine and, and healthcare more broadly. And we're seeing that already. Uh, you know, we recently published a list of more than 300 authorizations of machine learning enabled uh, devices. And you can clearly see the increasing trend uh, year after year. Um, in, in addition to the number of technologies uh, and the fact that uh, they will move from um, the early adopter fields, I would say, for example, radiology, um, mm -hmm. who's been using machine learning uh, for a long time uh, to all medical fields, uh, you know, you can expect to see, as we've discussed, um, a greater sophistication um, of the devices. Um, you know, I think that you'll see more sophisticated, sophisticated ways of uh, interacting uh, with the, the uh, with the devices. You know, for example, uh, providing uh, assistance to a healthcare provider, you know, live during a procedure. Um, and I think, you know, as as we discussed, really seeing a maturity of an understanding of how the human AI team. Um, can work uh, in a way that's, that's better than uh, either one uh, alone. And I, I think that we'll see um, uh, increased standardization, um, not only in the development and implementation uh, of these tools, uh, but also a standardization uh, of, for example, how these products are understood, uh, how they're uh, labeled, uh, the methods that are used uh, to test them to make sure they're robust, um, and, uh, you know, and, and we at FDA are working, uh, to help, uh, encourage the field, uh, to move in this direction, uh, to, you know, greater transparency, um, improved validation. And, and this will allow, um, you know, the, uh, the, the more, again, more sophisticated, uh, functions and applications, um, uh, for these technologies. Mm. Uh, another one of our closing questions is, uh, what advice would you give yourself in medical school or to recent med school grads? Sure. 
Um, you know, I received some very good advice uh, when I was going to medical school. So I, I, I think I just have to repeat it here. And I, and I probably still rely on uh, this advice. Um, you know, number one, uh, listen to your patients. Um, it, it's, uh, you know, so much of uh, what we learn and, um, you know, how we um, figure out what is going on uh, with the patient is through actually, you know, direct directly speaking with them, engaging with them. Um, there is uh, no substitute for that. And it's important that the technology uh, not get in the way. Um, mm. So uh, throughout your medical training and, and training of others, um, you know, always have that uh, first uh, and foremost, uh, understanding the patient's experience. And, you know, and at the agency, we have a lot of initiatives uh, to make sure that medical devices are infused with that understanding of what patients really need. Um, you know, a patient science and engagement program here at CDRH, a patient-focused drug development program at other centers, um, and, and, and I carry that uh, priority uh, to this day. Uh, second um, piece of advice is to learn uh, from all your teachers. Um, you know, not just uh, physician role models, but uh, you know, in medical training, we see folks, some folks who are doing things the right way, some folks are doing things the wrong way, um, you know, challenging uh, situations, and um, it's important to learn from all of them. Uh, mm -hmm. It's important to, to learn from patients, from their families, um, and, you know, there are many opportunities uh, to learn, uh, even outside of the, you know, traditional um, didactic uh, environment. And, and the third piece of advice, um, I would say, is to try not to forget about taking care of yourself. You know, medical mm. training <laughs> is very rigorous, as you know, um, and, uh, and it's really important. Um, you're only gonna be able to take care of patients um, the way you want to if you um, are also taking care of yourself. And I think, you know, we've seen that during the pandemic, um, probably more than we've seen it even in the past. Um, and, and that goes for, you know, the work at the agency uh, as well. Um, you know, it, it, we, we all put in long hours, uh, but it's, uh, it's important also to, to take care of yourself. And maybe I'll add um, a fourth piece of advice is, you know, when considering uh, career options, um, and if you've thought about, for example, going into industry, uh, consider uh, a career uh, at FDA. Um, you know, it's, uh, it's a really exciting uh, time uh, to be uh, a regulator working in the digital health space in particular. Um, you get uh, exposure to uh, many different companies that come in talking about their ideas, talking about their products. Um, it's a great way uh, to understand uh, best practice um, and, you know, and how to represent um, patient safety uh, within the whole um, healthcare product development system. Wow. Thank you very much, Dr. Diamond. I really had a pleasure talking with you in this interview. Uh, and, you know, I think it's really beautiful how you say the, how it's important to listen to the patient and to not let technology get in the way. But, you know, at, at FDA, the, uh, it's, you know, you know, you guys are actively figuring out how to best improve patient care with technology. So I, I'm really, I'm glad that we have someone like you leading the helm who kind of knows, you know, like the importance of just listening to patients. Thanks very much, David. It's, it's, uh, it's been a pleasure speaking to you as well. I'm happy to answer any additional questions from, from you or, uh, or your audience. Um, you can always reach out to us 
Uh, it's our email address is digitalhelp at fda.hhs.gov. Great, thank you. <laughs>